Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Ethan Millard. I'm filling in for Boyd Matheson today. Thanks so much for tuning in. And um, I'm going to talk briefly about Afghanistan. And, and I want to share something with you. So when I... Uh, you guys remember the Nightside Project. And the Nightside Project, when, when it came to current events, we were always excited to share some hot take. And as I've gotten older, not that I'm an old man now, but I think I'm more mature than when Alex and I first started with the Nightside Project. Um, I'm less about the hot takes these days. And as I've watched what's happened in, uh, in Afghanistan... Uh, I've had a few people say, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And honestly, I don't have an opinion on it. Not that I've been watching it. Not that I'm apathetic. I don't think I'm going to have an opinion on this for a couple of years. I honestly don't. It, it's so crazy how it all went down. It was so heartbreaking. But at the same time, we moved 120,000 some odd thousand people out over just a few days at a base under siege. I mean, on the one hand, it was it was this crazy failure and amazing triumph. So I don't know if I'm going to have a hot take on this for a couple of years, to be completely and totally honest. So I want to hit this segment then straightforward. And let's just get some information. We've got Andy Field on the line. Andy is an ABC News correspondent based in Washington, D.C. Andy has covered five presidential administrations and all the major stories. So, Andy, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? That's a nice way of saying I'm pretty old, but thanks. <laughs> I was going to say weathered. How's that? Is that better? <laughs> weathered is that's a good description. <laughs> so I was very uh, young when Reagan was office in office. I have to I have to say that. So yeah, well, uh, that was a while ago, but yeah. Uh, well, let me let me hit you, Andy, with a, with a couple of things here. We know that the. Uh, the Taliban has put together uh, a caretaker government. So help me get this. What do they mean by caretaker government? When I first read that, I thought, oh, they mean a temporary government. Is that what they're talking about? Well, here? the caretaker government looks like an episode of America's Most Wanted. Oh, uh, we've got Mullah Hassan Akun. Uh, he's the new acting prime minister, uh, who also happens to be on the U.N. sanctions list. Mm. Then we have Siraj Haqqani. You're not going to remember any of these names, but and neither am I. And I have to spell them out <laughs> phonetically because I have a hard time with this. But uh, he was appointed Minister of Interior. He is listed by the FBI, FBI as a designated terror, terrorist and a Taliban deputy wanted by the U.S. government for a terror attack 
And uh, we have a former Guantanamo Bay detainee, Mullah Abdul Akwasig. Uh, he's the Afghan intelligence chief, and it just goes on and on and on. By the way, uh, the Taliban, who said they're going to be a kinder, gentler organization, uh, they have disbanded the Ministry of Women's Affairs. Not a big surprise. Yeah. Uh, and now that's the government that the U.S. will have to deal with in order to get whoever's left out of there. And then after that, the U.S. can pretty much wash its hands of Afghanistan unless there's a terrorist lurking in there that threaten the U.S. And then, of course, the U.S. reserves the right to go back in there and, and strike them by air. Mm-hmm. President Biden was asked if he's going to have any kind of recognition of the Taliban or the government. And uh, President Biden's response was, that is a long way off. Well, and, and this is where, and, and, and I know you're aware of this because uh, you've, you know, you've got experience with the executive branch, but we're having to negotiate just the last little bit with Afghanistan. But we're now in a position where the people that we have to negotiate with are people that we should not be negotiating with and that we prefer not to. And and I think this is an element where I think probably any administration would prefer to do this part as quietly as possible. Look, this isn't something new. You, you, you talk about presidents going way back. You remember the Iran-Contra deal sure. um, where uh, the U.S. Uh, Ollie North was, was secretly uh, getting – uh, weapons from one place from Iran and getting them to the Contras in Central America. All of this was hush-hush. Publicly, the administration would say, we don't like any of these people. And yet behind the scenes, they were making deals with them. This happens all the time in in diplomacy, whether we like it or not. It, it's It's really a matter of necessity. It's not necessarily something you'd want to do. And uh, the Biden administration and the U.S. State Department will say it until they're blue in the face that this is not how they plan for this thing to end. Now, it seemed chaotic at the end, but it was chaotic in large part because the Afghan government that was in place simply folded. And the Afghan army that the U.S. spent 20 years training also simply folded. So the Taliban didn't have a whole lot of difficulty walking in and taking over. And at that point, the U.S., had only 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. And that that wasn't necessarily uh, Joe Biden's doing. This was former President Trump drew that down to that point when Joe Biden took office at the end of January. And he had a couple of months to decide, am I going to live up to this agreement that the uh, Trump administration put in place and get our troops out of there and stop risking American lives? Or am I going to add more troops? Well, His assessment and the U.S. Department of Defense assessment was the Afghan government can hold up at least until we get out of there. Uh, But they didn't. And that's why we had this emergency at the end. Uh, So let's pivot a little bit to what you mentioned, which is uh, about the Ministry of Women's Affairs in Afghanistan, which the Taliban has shuttered. And we've heard them on a a couple of opportunities they've had to say, hey, we we don't want to be a pariah. We want to govern inclusively. Uh, That means rights for women, et cetera, et cetera. Have we seen any evidence that they're interested in a more inclusive or mainstream government than they ran previously? Not so far. Uh, And who knows what's going to happen inside that country? Certainly, there are a lot of citizens in Afghanistan that are none too happy about what's going on. Uh, remember, the Taliban fighters, I think, are, I don't know how many, 75,000 strong? 
75,000 uh, armed guys took over a country of, of several million. So certainly this is going to be not stable for quite some time. Uh, our parochial interest appears to be we just want to get the Americans out of there and any Afghans that uh, continue to help us with these special immigrant visas. Uh, the, the State Department continues to say that the ma- vast majority of the hundred or so uh, people still in the country that have American passports have dual passports, meaning that they may have been born in Afghanistan, became U.S. citizens, or vice versa. Uh, and they were people who stuck around to the very end, disregarding warnings from the State Department as far back as last March uh, to get out of there, that it was very dangerous and they had to leave. They didn't. And, uh, you know, the Biden administration, the State Department hasn't come out and said this, but if you read between the lines, what they're saying is, look, we did everything we could to get you out of there, and you didn't help yourself, so we're trying to help you now, but you can't blame us for this. Yeah. Boy, it's uh, it's it's so frustrating that it's all not over, um, that, you know, we're, it it's just kind of keeps trickling, 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 um, although it'll it'll – and and this is the part that I think has, is impossible for President Biden is even if they get everyone out that really, let's say they get everyone out that really wants to get out. If there are any Americans that are still in there that were so called left behind, that's a political liability for the president. He'll have to own that. People are going to blame him for it. Well, look what happened to Jimmy Carter, who I did not cover, by the way. That's way too. <laughs> I was way. I was. I was. I don't know. I was in the womb, probably. <laughs> But um, when Jimmy Carter was was in office, the the Iran hostage thing destroyed his presidency. Yeah, uh, he became you know a, a guy who didn't last. Uh, and Ronald Reagan took over, and the second Ronald Reagan took over, they released the hostages, and they yeah. did it because they didn't want to do it under Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Well, Andy. It's great chatting with you. Thanks so much for this for this good good insight and good information. Andy Field is uh, an ABC News correspondent, very young guy based in Washington D.C., just starting out in his career. Andy, we wish I you look all in the, the mirror best. in the morning and I don't see that young guy. Some old guy snuck in. <laughs> all right, hey Andy, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we're going to grab a quick news traffic and weather break. When we come back, rivalry week. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.